know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your Good evening, RPYA family. Man, you guys are a rowdy bunch. I love it. You guys know how to get loud. You guys know how to get a rowdy. I can't even speak this morning, this evening. You guys are a good-looking bunch, too. Man, turn to the person next to you and say, you look good. It's your opportunity to tell that girl that you've been, like, peeping at all night. She looks good. You can tell her because you got permission from me. It's awesome. Awesome. Hey, uh, if this is your first time, I'm pumped that you're here. Uh, my name is Kelly. I am the young adult pastor. We serve students from 18 to 25. And so if you're like 25-ish, we don't card uh, unless you're creepy. All right. So uh, we're so glad you're here. Uh, tonight, we are going to continue in a series called Welcome Home because home is not necessarily where the heart is because how many of you know that our heart can lead us astray? No, home is where the Father is. That's right. Home is where the Father is. And so today, we're going to talk about what it means to communicate with the Father. It's crazy when we think about this, though, because there's a disconnection in my life be- between what I know is true and what, is, what I actually do, right? There's a disconnection between um, what I know the speed limit is and what actually happens on the freeway. Um, uh, you know, uh, can I just tell you a quick story about a disconnecting time in my life where I knew the speed laws. I know the speed laws. And I know them on the five freeway going, you know, up the grapevine. And, uh, and, but for some reason I was distracted. Well, I know the reason why I was distracted because I was going to propose to my wife and, and I was holding and I, and I, I was holding like the most expensive little piece of material I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, how can something so small cost this much? It cost, it costs twice the amount of my car. And I'm like, why? Well, I didn't care because it's my wife or my future wife at the time. But I'm driving, and for some reason, I'm not thinking about the speed loss. And my foot gets heavier and heavier because I'm nervous because I'm going to drive to Bakersfield to, to, to ask my, my wife or my, my fiancé or my girlfriend at the time's dad if I could marry her. And I've never even met the guy, so that was even, that was even more nerve-wracking. That's for a different time. I'll tell you that story. But I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving, and then all of a sudden I see blue, you know, whatever, blue lights in the background. Blue, red and blue, yellow, whatever. <laughs> in my rearview mirror, and I look down and, I, and it reads 120. And I'm like, dang, that's twice. The, the, that's twice the speed I'm supposed to be driving on the 5 freeway. And of course I was driving through Taft. It's the worst place on earth. Because they hit me with a $5,000 ticket. And 30 days of suspended license. Yes, I know. Tell me about it, Ashley. Dude, so I'm like, like, I know the truth of my situation. However, I was distracted. Right? Sometimes there's a disconnect between what we know is true and what actually happens. And sometimes when we find out 
we have to live with the consequences. When we find out there's a disconnection, we have to live with those consequences. And I lived with those consequences for, for 30 days <laughs> and $5,000. Luckily, they let me do uh, two payments. So I was lucky. Some, sometimes when we find out there's a disconnect, the consequences aren't so bad. Kind of like when, when, I'm, uh, <laughs> when I'm at Vaughn's and I have food in my, my, my basket. It's a very small basket. I never get the shopping cart, no matter what I do. Like, yeah, I always, I always just get the, the plastic basket. And, and, and then when, I, when it's time for me to go in line to pay, I see all the lines. I look at my basket, and I look at the lines, and I look at my basket, and I realize there is a 15 and under line I can be in. But I, when I look at my basket, I see 17 items. So I'm, like, convicted in my soul. <laughs> And sometimes I just kind of squash that voice like real deep and downside. Just like, okay, don't talk to me right now. I'm going to go into the 15 line right now. And I'm hoping nobody <laughs> notices that I actually have 17 items. And I'm hoping that, that, that they don't. And most of the time they, they don't notice. But I'm left with a guilty conscience. <laughs> and, you know, and just because it's like a, a, a six pack of, of, of soda, it's always soda. Like, I count that as one, right? It is one, right? It is one, right, right. So anyways, uh, so sometimes the consequences are not so bad when I realize there's a disconnect, but you're still left with the consequences um, of your conscience. But I think there's also disconnect in church. And when I read the Bible, especially about prayer, there's a disconnect between what I see in the Bible with these people who are praying and God is raining down fire from heaven and he's defeating his enemies and he's blessing people with, you know, wisdom and knowledge and families and money or sometimes not so much family and money. But, but there seems to be a disconnect between the way the people in the Bible talk to God and the way I talk to God. How many of you ever noticed that there might be a disconnect even in your life? Between the way you read in the Bible that they, they talk to God and what, maybe what you even see. Maybe the things that you even see on TV about how they talk to God. You know, especially the things that I see on TBN or like charismatic places where they're like hitting people in the heads and putting modesty cloths on them. You know, like it's just weird. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you don't. I see it because I watch a lot of YouTube. But there's a disconnect. And you know who else noticed the disconnect? The disciples noticed the, the disconnect. And when I say disciples, these are the people that were following Jesus when he was here on earth physically. And they noticed the disconnect. And they saw the way Jesus was praying. And they said, that, that, that does not look like our prayers. They saw Jesus praying and they wondered to themselves, um, should I ask this question? Because, you know, my teacher says there's no stupid questions, but I think this might be one. And so they go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, um, I'm, a, I'm a grown man, and um, I grew up in Jerusalem. I grew up, you know, going to Hebrew school, VBS, all those things. But what you are doing over there is not what I do. What you are doing over there is not what I've seen. So would you teach us? Would you teach us to pray? And you know what Jesus said? That's a stupid question. I can't believe you would ask me that. No, Jesus didn't say that. Read your Bibles, right? Jesus does not say that. Instead, he says, okay. Okay. Great. 
I, I, I much would rather teach you how to pray. I, I don't want to teach you how to preach. Instead, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to talk to my father. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. In fact, we're going to ask the same questions that the disciples asked. How? How do we pray? And maybe there's a disconnect between what the Bible actually says and what we've experienced. And maybe we can make a change as a result of that. Would you pray with me as we jump into God's word? Father, in heaven, you're holy. You deserve the highest place in our lives. And that the greatest thing that we can ever ask for is just more of you. More of you, more of your love, more of your presence. And help us to see, open our eyes so that we can see the beauty of actually just being your child. And we come before you as children today asking humbly, Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Amen. So go ahead and open your Bible apps to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, starting with verse 5. Or open up your uh, programs. I think there might be some things there. You can write some notes down. I encourage you to write some notes because maybe someday you'll pull this note out of your dresser one day when you're cleaning and you might be encouraged and it might change you. Matthew 6, 5, it says this. And when you pray, pause. (laughs) And when you pray, how many of you know that in God's household there's no silent children Because the assumption is when you pray, not if you pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Will reward you. Your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There's a lot of people here that are serving and loving and and honoring God, and nobody else notices them. But let me tell you, you are noticed. Your father, who is unseen, sees what you do in secret, and he is rewarding you, tech team. He is rewarding you first impressions. He is rewarding you. uh, Where's the nuts and bolts team? Where are you at? Right? He's rewarding you guys. We don't see what you do, but our Father in heaven who is unseen sees the service that you offer up and he rewards you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9. This is then how you pray. This is the good stuff right here. Here, come on. Come on, Jay. This is then how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us, in not, into temptation, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. That is God's word. All right. So, Jesus starts out with his prayer instructions by teaching us what not to do, 
what not to do. He gives us the not to's and the to do's. The not to's and the to do's. It's not like some random tribe. It's, it's the not to's and the to do's. All right. He tells us what not to. And, and the first thing he tells us not to do is don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. And I know what you're thinking. Kelly, you're a hypocrite because, because, because you know the speeding limit and you're going to tell me to obey the laws and you didn't, you broke the laws. That's not a hypocrite. That's just me being dumb, right? 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 You're like, Kelly, you know it says 15 items are left, but you still go anyways. I know. That's not a hip. Well, maybe. But that is me struggling, okay? I am struggling. But in the Greek, a hypocrite is an actor. The hypocrite is an actor. They didn't have like Hollywood and a ton of actors and they didn't have SAG and AFTRA and a ton of people lining up so that they can be in your play. No, they just had a few skilled people who are really, really smart and really, really good at what they do. And so with these few actors, what they would do is put on a mask and they would play their part and then the other person would act. And while that other person is acting, they would go behind the scenes, put on another mask and play another role. They were hypocrites, right? They were putting on different masks, playing different roles. And what would happen in the synagogues and on the streets, there were people who prayed only in synagogues and only in front of people, but they didn't pray in the quiet place. You know these people, though. They're the CEOs. You know, the Christmas and Easter onlys. People who show up to church, you know, and they do their spiritual duty in front of people because it's Christmas, right? You show up to church. It's Jesus' birthday after all. Come on, right? Or they show up to Easter and they do their spiritual duties. But the rest of the year, it's all about them. It's all about their work, right? These are the people who put on a mask And they satisfy their duty, but the rest of the day, the rest of the week is all about them, right? It's not about not praying in public. It's a problem when you only pray in public. Does that make sense? So don't be a hypocrite. Now, the second person that Jesus tells us not to do like things like (laughs) are the pagans, the pagans, they babble. The pagans, they babble on. The pagans, the pagans. Now, I'm thinking about a pagan. Anybody know any pagans? Um, Typically, we think pagans are just people who are not spiritual. Wrong, because why would a pagan pray if they're not spiritual? Clearly, these are very spiritual pagans, right? Clearly, right? Back then, these pagans were calling down incantations and chanting and mantras because they wanted the rain god to bring rain when it was dry and the water god to bring water and the fertility god to bring fertilizer. I don't know. Um, but they, these guys believed lots of different things about different types of gods and they were, they were chanting and they would say the same things over and over again. And the word for babel, somebody say babel. Means empty words, empty words. Have you ever used empty words? Right? And, and, and this is something I see in church, and people, I, I'm so guilty of this, man. I'm totally outing myself tonight. All right. So, one of the things that people do, they, they, they repeat God's name over and 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 over again, right? And so they would say, God, thank you, God, for this, God. You know, I got this jean jacket from Super Dry God. So cool. Thank you, God, for Super Dry Jacket. Okay, uh, by the way, you know, get me a wife by God. That's kind of how some of our prayers look like. So you say, what's the problem with that? 
Well, if I were like, Priscilla, hey, Priscilla, so glad you came, Priscilla. I like those glasses, Pr- Priscilla. By the way, thanks for coming into RPYA, Priscilla, Priscilla, Priscilla. By the way, Priscilla, I love going to In-N-Out after church, Priscilla, right? And, and it sounds repetitive. Okay, uh, be sure to buy me some lunch, by the way, Priscilla. Thank you, Priscilla. Okay, bye, right? That's how we talk to God, and that is also babbling. That's using empty words, okay? And so they use filler words to create space because they don't know what they're going to say. My, uh, my, my, my friend from Talbot Seminary, his name is Darren O'Brien, if you're watching. What's up? Um, he outed me once big time. He was totally making fun of me, but he, he was like so endearing. He loves me. And he was commenting on one of the things that I do when I pray. And he's like, Kelly, when you pray, it sounds like you just opened a can of Coke. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, right before you pray, you go, ah. <laughs> Dang, Darren O'Brien calling me out. So don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, right? God is less concerned about how long your prayers are. He's way more concerned about the depth of your prayers, right? He is less concerned about length than he is about depth. He wants your heart, not your length not your vocabulary, right? He starts our prayer off by calling us children when we admit that he is father. So what should we do? What should we do? Now we know what not to do. What should we do? Jesus tells us what to do. And if you're following along in your notes, here's the thing to, to write down. First, know who you are talking to. Know who you are talking to. It starts, it starts off verse 9 saying, this is then how you should pray. Our Father. Our Father. It's interesting that when we come to pray, we start with our. We don't isolate ourselves because we, we are a pretty isolated culture. We, we, we talk about my Jesus or, you know, my God or what I think or what I believe, but Jesus says when we go to God the Father in prayer, we start with our, meaning that we are a part of something much bigger than just ourselves. You understand? That who you are is part of a bigger body of people, and Jesus includes us in his prayer, and he says, our Father. Meaning, God the Father looks at his son Jesus and includes you in his affections. So when God looks at Jesus with love and adoration and respect and love and and care and compassion, he includes you so that when we go to the Father, we say, our Father. This is a corporate prayer. When we pray, we are affecting other people. And when we address God as Father, we can address God in, in so many ways. Jesus could have addressed God in so many ways because truly we, we sung it tonight. God is King. He is Lord. He is Master. He is all these things. But there's something dramatically different than addressing God as King, than addressing God as Father. You know what's the difference? Blood. See, there's something unconditional about the relationship between a father and a child than there is a king and a servant, right? A king and servant relationship can be conditional. A master-slave relationship can be conditional, but not a father-child relationship. 
And so some of us need to know that today. Just by simply saying our father, we need to understand that we are coming into God's presence as a child. Think about it. Think about it. Who has access to a king at 3 a.m.? Only a child does. Who has the audacity to interrupt a king at any time they want to? A child does. So we walk in to God's presence and we recognize who we're talking to and we're talking to our father. The second thing Jesus asks us to do is to become increasingly aware of our adoration. Be aware of what you are adoring. What you are adoring. It says, verse 9 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, 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 hallowed. When was the last time anybody used the word hallowed? Don't tell me if you are a Shakespeare person. (laughs) Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah, right. Any time I, the only time I ever think of the word hallowed is when I'm like looking at an empty cup. Like it's hallowed. <laughs> There's nothing in there. I, I don't know. That was a bad joke. I practiced that 20 times. Uh, dang. So the word for hallowed. Yeah, well, next time. The word for hallowed simply means adoration, to adore, to praise, to worship. Hallowed literally means the highest exalted place in your being, in the universe of your life. There's nothing higher than hallowed. And so what we do is we recognize God's presence and presence, and we reestablish his authority in our life. So the question here I want to ask is, what are you hallowing? What's hallowed in your life? And the way you know what you adore in your life, what you worship in your life, what you praise in your life, the way you know what you hallow in your life is what brings you to your knees in prayer. Because if it's not the Father, that seriously needs to be demoted. What's hallowed in your life? uh, What do you adore in your life so much that it brings you to your knees in prayer? What's that one thing that you can't live without that if it was gone, you would die? And if it's not the Father, then you have an adoration problem. And everything stems from what you see and what you believe about God. And if it's anything other than God, it needs to be demoted. There's people here and there's been people in my life that have struggled with forgiveness. Uh, I know a girl who has been sexually active for a very long time. She has multiple sexual partners. She came to Jesus and she received forgiveness. But it was a process because she had a hard time receiving forgiveness. You know why? Because she hallowed something greater than God and it won't forgive her. Does that make sense? The reason why she couldn't experience forgiveness from God or from people, even though she knew with her head, there was a disconnect. She knew with her head that God forgave her and the community of believers forgave her too. But the reason why she could not forgive herself is because she hallowed something greater than God and that thing would not forgive her. So she needed to identify what it was and demote it. 
hallowed be your name. This is an adoration issue, you know, adoration. And if we don't adore God, if God is not in the hallowed place of your life, your, your view of yourself is distorted. You understand that, right? Your view of the world is distorted because you don't believe God is good. You do not believe God is your provider. And like Michael Yearly said earlier, at least if that's true, don't deny it. Just be honest. You have a distorted view of God. Therefore, you have a distorted view of yourself and everything else around you. Imagine a little girl and her father takes her into Toys R Us. And, and the father says to the little girl, hey, you see that toy? You like that toy? You like all these toys, but you like that one especially, don't you? And the daughter's like, yeah, I do. It's good. You like it. Guess what? You can't have it. You can't have none of it. In fact, I will do everything in my power to make sure that you don't ever have anything good. Right? That little girl's going to be messed up. <laughs> totally. Right? She's not going to see herself or the world around her. Like, like she's just going to have some issues, right? For sure. Like, she will end up on Dr. Phil, and we will all find out what happened at Toys R Us. Right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Cash me outside, right? So she's going to be like that, right? It's the same thing with you and your relationship with God. Right? At some point, you didn't get what you want. And so as a result, you felt like you don't get anything you want. Right? Just because you didn't get everything doesn't mean you don't get anything. Because for a little girl, like she, like would be devastated, right? But God is a good God, so he would never do that. But if you believe that about God, it's going to shape the way you think about yourself and the people around you. Because if you can't trust God, you're not going to be able to trust anybody else. And you're going to believe the worst about your circumstances. And even though, if good, even though good things happen in your life, you're going to eventually think, oh, something bad is about to happen. Right? Because you are going to be consistently pessimistic about the people around you because you believe God is a bad God and I have to get for myself because God will not provide for me. And it's a lie that came from the garden. And by the garden, I'm not talking about like Osh, you know, or Home Depot. I'm talking about in Genesis chapter 3, in the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve were, were in this garden and, and that garden represented the earth. And God said, you can have everything, every single tree in every single forest. Just don't touch and just don't eat from that tree, one tree. And the serpent came and deceived the, the, the woman, Eve. And you know what the serpent said? I'll, I'll tell you. The serpent said, hey, Eve. And, and, and Eve was like, whoa, you talk. Um, and the serpent said to Eve, you see that tree? And he's like, yeah, but, you know, I'm, I got other trees to deal with here. <laughs> and the serpent said, you know why God doesn't want you to have that tree? It's the best tree. It's the best tree. And he doesn't want you to have good things. And you will have none of it. Wow. And it messed her up. And as a result, it messed up humanity. Because we started to believe just because we can't have everything, we can't have anything. 
And we started to believe that God is not good. And he doesn't love us because he doesn't give us what we want. He doesn't give us everything we want. It's an adoration problem. It's a hollowed problem. We have it. You see it in babies or children. Have you ever told a child? Like, like, um, like if you ever watched a kid, anybody watch kids like, like babysit and you tell them no once you tell them like, and then you tell them like, no, we can't go to the circus. And they're like, ah, and they go nuts. Right. But you're like, yeah, but we can still go to uh, this farm in Moore park. Uh, and they're like, I don't want to go to the farm in Moore park. And I'm like, I'm like, fine, we can go to the park. I don't want, I don't want anything. If I can have everything, I don't want anything. That's really articulate kid. But, but, but you get the idea. If you, if you tell them, no, they can't go to the circus, they don't want to do anything else because they're so fixated on what they don't have. They can't appreciate everything else that you're providing. Comprende so far? I'm going at this point so much because adoration heals the distortion that we have in us. Adoration is the only way to heal the distortion. Adoration is the only way to heal the lie that we've believed. And that's why we adore God before we start confessing sins. We adore God before we start asking for things. We bless God, right? This is a blessing to God. Do you know the Bible says that you can actually bless God? So bless the Lord. We sing songs. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I forgot the rest of the words. Bless it Right, Right, so, right. It's so important in real life. You don't, I know some of you guys are really smart and you don't dare ask your parents for something without saying, hey, I like, is that a new jacket? Oh my, you, oh man, can I have $20? Uh, right, like, right, you get the concept. You are a blessing before you ask for a blessing, comprende? Right, right, we are a blessing to God before we start reeling out our list of give me, give me, give me's to God. So far, so good. All right, so now this third thing that Jesus asks us to do. So the first thing that Jesus says is, know who we're talking to, our Father, right? And then we need to become aware of our adoration, right? Hallowed be your name. And then third, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We recalibrate my will to his will. If you're following along, we recalibrate my will to his will. Ah. Man, the will. The will is at the center of your heart. Your heart is comprised of three things. Somebody say three. Your heart is comprised of three things. Intellect, will, and emotions. Intellect, will, and emotions. And the will is at the center of all your decision making. And at this point of our prayers, we are recalibrating. We are, we are submitting. We are surrendering our will for his will. Remember, let me take you back to the garden and what happened to our hearts. Right? Intellect, will, and emotions. That's how the heart works. Actually, I'll give you a different illustration real quick. I love milkshakes. <laughs> especially I love them, but I'm lactose intolerant and my wife has to suffer for it, right? If I have a milkshake tonight, it'll be bad news bears. There'll be candles and like lighting matches. It's just bad. My stomach just goes nuts. It's bad news bears. But sometimes there's a disconnect uh, between what I know is true and what I actually do. Sometimes. Um, Not tonight though. Not today, Satan. I took my lactate. Um, So, all right, intellect, will, and emotions, the heart. 
All right, so with my mind, I know the consequences. And I know what to do. I take lactate. So there's a knowledge part. There's an intellect. When I'm, when I'm standing in front of in and out and the ladies ask me, how can I help you? I'm like, well, you can't help me. I got too many issues. But today, I'm looking at the menu and I'm assessing what I want in my life. And I look at the chocolate milkshake. That's so good. But, but I haven't decided yet. I'm, I'm deliberating. I'm using my intellect. I'm using my mind to figure out all the options and all the consequences that it's going to go on. And then with the will, I say this. Give me that milkshake, please. <laughs> go ahead. Bring it on me. Take my money. Everything. Here you go. Here's my credit card. Um, so with, with the will, I make the decision. And with my emotions, <laughs> I feel either great or I feel regretful. All right, right. With my emotions, that's what happens either, you know, before or after pretty much the consequences of my decisions is predicated by my emotions, I guess. So, so you got your intellect, will, and emotions. So every decision that you make, you decide with your will, and then you feel with your emotions. And that all takes place in the heart. Now, in the garden, Genesis 3, what else happened in the garden? Eve was deceived, and our hearts were turned inwards. Let me explain. God made you good. He made all of us good. He said everything was good, and then he made woman, and he said that was very good. And read it. It's in the Bible. And, and our hearts were oriented to want the things God wanted. Right? Our hearts were headed in that direction. Right? And then when we sinned, when we decided to disobey God one time, our hearts were er turned in on itself. Instead of wanting what God wanted, we wanted what we wanted. And like Selena Gomez says, the heart wants what it wants. Right? And that's what happens. And it wants itself. It wants more me. Everything me. Babies, you see this in children. After they say mama, they say mine, right? That's just what happens, right? When you develop, your, your heart just wants more me. It's selfish. And in this prayer, we're saying, not today. I want what you want. But the only way, the only way that you can have a will that's oriented towards God is by getting a new heart. You need a heart transplant. And that, the only way you can get a heart transplant is by having a suitable heart donor. And in order to get a suitable heart donor, somebody's got to die. And so Jesus is a suitable heart donor who gives you a new heart. Jesus is that suitable heart donor. Because you, you have a heart problem. You can't pray this prayer unless you have a new heart. Because if all your prayers are all about what you want and the things that are coming, you know, that, that's bringing you to the Father are not the Father's love and it's not the Father's presence, then you have a heart problem. And you need a heart transplant and you need Jesus bad. And I want to close today. I'm going to invite the band to come up by giving you an opportunity to get that heart transplant. And start praying a new way. 
and bridge the disconnect between what you've seen and what you know. Because adoration affects everything in your life. It affects the way you see yourself. It affects the way you are able to receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. But you have to give, you have to allow your heart to be transformed. You have to exchange your old sinful heart for a new one. See, Jesus came and he died so that you can have a new heart, so that you can experience eternity with him. And I don't know how many times you've probably heard that, but if today's a day that you decide that you're, not, you're no longer going to live for yourself, you're tired of having other things in the hollowed place of your life. I want to give you an opportunity to put Jesus there. Let Jesus give you a new heart. A heart that wants what God wants. That wants to hollow and adore him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Oh, Father. I am your child. I choose to act like it. I don't want to distance you anymore. I don't want to keep you away from me. I don't want my job. I don't want my relationships. I don't want myself to come in between us anymore. I admit that I've put places in the highest place in my life. There are things in the hallowed place that don't need to be there, Lord. But starting today and starting right now, for the rest of my life, I choose to put you in the hallowed place. By receiving the free gift of eternal life that is brought by your son, Jesus, who died the death that I deserve so that I can live this life that you intended me to live. Father, I give you my mind, I give you my will, and I trust you with my emotions. From this day forward, my life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. And I pray that tonight, tomorrow and the next day, when I come into your presence, I will not come with a long list of things that I want you to do for me, but Father, I will come to you with open hands asking, Lord, Father, Daddy, Help me to see you bigger than I did the day before. Help me to experience you greater than I did the day before. And help me to adore you before I do adore anything else in my life. From this day forward, in Jesus' name, we all said, amen.